0: you there hello there brad walsh here your host of the empowerography podcast today my guest is tracy montgomery she is a teacher a soul and business coach an energy healer an alchemist and a reiki master welcome tracy i am so happy to have you here with me today we have finally gotten around to doing this divine timing as we say i appreciate you how you doing today
1: I'm very well. I'm super excited and just happy to be here. So thank you very much.
0: I am very excited to have you here as well and to jump right in. So with that being said, and so you wear all of those hats. That is one hell of a resume you have. How on earth do you find the time for all of this? And how important is prioritization and organization? And how do you stay on top of things?
1: Yeah, you know, like I think that I used to be an elementary teacher, which I did for about 10 years. And I think that I learned a lot of, you know, multitasking and organization skills through that because as a teacher, you wear many, many hats. Um, And it was definitely a really good experience just to kind of learn how to organize my time and, and those things, because you're very much under time constraint from that perspective. But now what I find is after, you know, so many years on this journey and in this path is that everything is kind of woven in together And I remember when I started this, it was very compartmentalized. So I was like, okay, well, how do I, how do I do the massage? And then how do I do the (laughs) energy? How do I fit in the coaching and how do I, and over time, I've just figured out a way to weave it all together. So what most people will notice when they work with me is even though they might be coming for one thing or they feel like they want one thing, they don't realize that they also need the other things. That makes sense. Yeah,
0: absolutely. 100%. So they're getting, uh, well-rounded package when they come to work with you
1: (laughs) totally because i have experience with the physical body in terms of like back in the day i was a personal trainer for quite a long time and then i took massage so i have a lot of anatomy background yoga teacher training (laughs)
0: And I've done a lot of
1: mental work too, you know, because I have meditation training. I was a mindfulness teacher and coach with the school division for three years. So I have that aspect. And then I've also done a lot of emotional work as well, like subconscious imprinting technique and things like that to really look at the root of where the emotions actually sit. Right, world. And then I also have the spiritual aspect in terms of Akashic records and things like that. So it's one of the reasons why I called my company uh, Root to Rise is it was because we start with the physical and we really root down and see what's yeah. going on in, in our earth experience now. And then we kind of move up through the levels and layers and they are all connected.
0: Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. So with all that, with all the hats that you wear and knowing the importance of routine and regimen what does your morning routine look like?
1: So I believe and you know, actually you and I have a couple um, mutual acquaintances. And one of the phrases I love from Rosalind Fong, who I work very closely with, is she would often say body before business. And I love that. And so I start my morning, I get up at 5.15 every morning and it's usually a spin class or a yoga class or some type of movement or weight training, whatever that is. And I get that in for myself first, partly because in human design I'm a generator, what that essentially means is I have a lot of energy. Like I have a constant access to like a physical motor. So I need to get some of that movement in and get that out and get my body moving and kind of release that excess energy. So I always start there. And then I usually kind of drop in and look at my social and my email after that a bit, just to start off the morning. Then I got to get my kids off to school. I got two teenagers. They got two places to go. And then I come home and I get usually an hour to two hours, depending on the day to myself. And sometimes it's sitting in meditation. Sometimes it's a ritual practice. Other times I'm reading a book. Other times I'm catching up on work because I'm behind. So I just kind of, you know, move things where they need to go. And it's very easy to, for me to create flow that way. And I innately prioritize things. So I just work through work through what I've got going on. Uh,
0: being flexible is important too, right? Because life happens, shit comes up and you got to make quick adjustments on the fly. So...
1: Totally, and with kids too. That, that's old, <laughs> yeah. a monkey wrench, right? If yeah. You know, like on Monday, my son messaged me. He's like, "Mom, I'm at school. I know you're working, but I think I'm gonna throw up."
0: <laughs>
1: <It's> like, <laughs> okay, let me do something, and I'll be there. To,
0: to yeah. So, kids
1: will definitely teach you the art of flexibility. That's
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tracy, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Oh,
1: I, first of all, I definitely consider myself to be a lifelong learner. So I believe that whether, whatever role I'm in, whether I'm being a mom or I'm being the coach or I'm being the teacher, whatever that is, there's always something for me to learn. And so I'm very curious that way. And so that is definitely a driver and a motivator for me is it's like, okay, well, I know this, or I've mastered this, or I'm embodying this, but I also recognize there's always more, right? So that's definitely part of it. And, you know, I think the other piece is for me, there's nothing more magical than seeing someone else rise into their power, than seeing someone else that I've been working with step outside of their comfort zone, do the thing that they haven't been able to do or celebrate themselves, whatever that is. I think that there's, especially for women, there's not enough of that in the world. Absolutely. Well,
0: I think we as human beings, we don't celebrate and we don't take the time to slow down because we've been conditioned to keep going and keep pushing and, you know, ticking the ticking the boxes, checking the things off the to do list. And then as soon as you're done checking those things off, it's like, okay, on to the next thing what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What do I have to get done next? And we need to learn to slow down and celebrate those wins when they come, no matter how big or small they are. And just take the time. I mean, if we've learned nothing from the past three years, but to slow down, yeah, that's got to be the one takeaway from the last three years that we should have learned.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And also the idea about raising the bar, right? Like I think yeah. we are conditioned. It's like, okay, when you graduate, then you go to school and you get a degree, right? And then when you're done that, you go out, and you get the good job, and then yeah. when we're done that, you go out, you get the family, and you get the house, and you get the way picket fence. And and you know, a lot of people have done that, and I did a version of that too. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, I did all that, and I'm still fucking miserable. So yeah,
0: no. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work, and it doesn't have to be that way anymore. Again, that would have taught us through COVID that no, life doesn't have to be that way. There's a lot of different ways to go about and approach life. So Mm -hmm. lots of takeaways there, lots of lessons in that pandemic that we should have taken away and learned.
1: Absolutely.
0: Because this was such a big part of your life, I want to talk a little bit about your career as a traditional educator or teacher. Mm -hmm. I think this is important. This will lead into other things. First of all, what was the inspiration for you to start your career out as an educator?
1: You know, it's interesting, like, I didn't even realize that I think at the time when I decided to go and become a teacher, but one of the things I've always done from the youngest age that I can ever remember is it's very natural for me to just teach. That's just part of how I'm wired. Uh, you know, I've come to learn since then. It's also part of my sole purpose is to be that teacher. And it's one of those things when people talk about, okay, what should I do for a living or what should I do? And people are always like, well, find what comes easy to you. Right. And go do that. And often that easy thing is something we don't even recognize. Yeah. And for me, it was teaching. And so I was the teacher that could show up and just teach. I I didn't have to plan a ton. It would just literally just happen. Right. And I could sequence it in my brain. I could put the pieces of the puzzle together. I could plan from, you know, the end in mind and I could do all of those things, which. You know, I also know from working in it for so long that there's lots of teachers that really struggle with that, right? They have a hard time organizing. They have a a hard time putting the pieces of the puzzle together, right? And for me, it was easy. So when I finished high school, I took a couple of years off and I traveled a little bit because I didn't know what I want to do. And I I knew I wanted to be a helper in some way. Like the other thing I was considering was actually nursing. And part of the reasons I didn't do nursing was because after a couple of years of working in a a long-term care facility, I realized that... Even though I could, it's one of those things where even though you can, doesn't mean you should. Right? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: and even though I could, I just realized that, you know, I didn't want to be in an environment where people were always hurt or people were dying or whatever that was. So then the flip side of that was, well, where does life exist, right? Well, they exist with kids, right? They're full of life. They're full of joy. They're full yeah. of dream and possibility. And if I'm completely honest, it was just a really easy choice. I knew that I could go to school for those fuller years and I could kind of like float through it. (laughs) It It's going to work for me. Now that it's not a part for everybody, but for me, it was a hard. So I chose it from that perspective and, you know, I loved it for a long time until I got a taste of something different and then realized that even though teaching was innately in me, we could say that the Alberta curriculum was not what I was passionate about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that... The curriculum anywhere, I mean, let's be honest, the education system is completely fucked. Mm-hmm. It, it needs a complete overhaul. It needs to be burned to the ground and started again. They're not teaching kids things that they can use in life. Why aren't they teaching kids mindfulness and meditation in schools? Yeah. Yoga, how like what happened to home ec and shop and things like that? Skills that these kids can actually use throughout yeah. the course of their lives. And yeah. they're basically teaching them to memorize shit and regurgitate it. What good yeah. is that?
1: Well, yeah. My kids complain about that all the time. My son is a, an amazing memorizer. Like he can regurgitate an insane amount of facts that are like, essentially we don't need to know. He'll be like, Hey mom, <laughs> do you know that monkeys have whatever? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing. Right. My daughter is the opposite. She's the kid that has to do to learn. And so that system is to her detriment. She needs repetition and she needs to do and and those types of things. But you know, what really opened my eyes was I was in a pilot project when I was a teacher for three years, and that's how I had a title of mindfulness teacher and coach. And when I did it, it was at a time when mindfulness was very, very new. Like it wasn't quite the buzzword. It was at that time where all of a sudden the word mindfulness showed up on the cover of a times magazine and everyone's like, what is this thing? So what happened was I happened to have a very open principal who recognized that kids couldn't learn if they couldn't regulate themselves. And so what I was able to do is I was given three years where I was, and I had to link it to the health curriculum. And here's part of where it's also broken was that the health curriculum is so old. It's so general. It was so easy for me to connect it and ju- and be able to, to say this is what I'm teaching. Essentially mindfulness is a lot of social, emotional regulation. And so, yes, they were meditating in a way, but I have to be very careful. I wasn't allowed to use the word meditate. I wasn't allowed <laughs> to use the word yoga. That's <laughs> too
0: forward thinking.
1: we in it, right? And we started to see differences in, in a lot of the classrooms. And I was going in from K to six, and I was teaching each classroom once a week a mindfulness lesson. And then the, the idea of the project was to weave it in. And I was also doing a lot of professional development for teachers in my division as well as others teaching them how to weave it into their everyday classroom. Because when I started using it initially, it was like a complete 360 turnaround in my classroom and teachers were coming to me and they were like,
0: what are you doing? Tracy?
1: Oh, okay. they were like, why, is it, like, why is it so common here? How are they like, sitting in their desks and they're working. they're working? How is this happening? And I worked in a school that was, it was round. so was called an open concept school. And so what that means is the library is in the center. Then there's classrooms attached to the library. And then there's a hallway and classrooms on the outside. But so all the classrooms only had two or three walls. Uh No one had doors. And, some didn't even have that third wall. So of course it was noisy. It was, yeah. you could not see what was going on in everybody's classroom when you walked by around the circle. So it was even more bizarre to walk around the circle and see other people's classrooms. And then all of a sudden you come to mind and the lights were low and there was <laughs> calm music playing and there was all this stuff. And people were like, what is happening here? And how, <laughs> do I, how do I get this little piece of bliss? And it was amazing. And what was unfortunate was at the end of the three years, when it was time to renew the project, I had a new principal come in, and she believed in technology. So she felt that the money was better spent on Chromebooks. So that's what we did. And when that happened, I was like, I think my time here is done.
0: So that was the catalyst then for you leaving the whole traditional educational system. Yes, in a
1: way. But I did actually do two years back in the regular classroom. I had a grade two classroom. And it was two years of like, like I, it was also very early in my journey. So what I'll say about that is I learned a huge lesson because I was that person that spent two years in their job going to work every day and fucking hating it.
0: Oh, I've been there. Right? And it was
1: like, it's It's miserable. Oh, it was terrible. And it was yeah. like, I walked around with a dark cloud around my head and I was just miserable. And I had been trying to figure out how to get out over those two years. And, and so I had already gone back to massage school. So I was building clientele and I still have this story running of, okay, when I build up enough clientele, then I can leave. Like, where's my safety net? Cause as a teacher, you get a pension, you get benefits, yeah. all this stuff. And, you know, I'm a firm believer now that if you don't take the leap, when you know, when it's time the universe will actually push you.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And that's what happened. So it got to the point where there was a new school that was built in the division. And so they had to move staff around. And because I had a part-time contract, they didn't want part-time employees anymore. So they were trying to Tracy. Yeah, so I got surplused. And the job they offered me, they said, Okay, well, you know, what are you open to? And I said the only things I'm not opening two is traveling farther than i already do which is half an hour away because i have kids in school half an hour away from here right and kindergarten so those were the two things i was like those are hell no for me so what they offered me was half day kindergarten 45 minutes away
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they were digging to find out what you wouldn't do so they could give it to you
1: <laughs> oh, yeah totally because i was very clear i was like this is what i will not do and that was
0: unbelievable
1: and i'm totally honest i was pissed
0: oh well no doubt
1: because i had been there for 10 years i was like look at you know how much time i've been here everything i've done
0: loyalty there is no such thing as loyalty anymore
1: no not at all and you don't give a a shit yeah i called the union i was like dude what's going on they're like well actually you're an employee of the division not the schools they can actually send you anywhere and i was like this is bullshit
0: yeah absolutely well sometimes what we think is the worst possible thing that could happen to us is the best possible thing that could happen for us
1: totally because i then it was like either i take another shitty well not another but i take <laughs> a job i definitely know i don't want right yeah. or i have to take the leap of faith or the leap in faith
0: and yeah. see what happens and there's that universal nudge.
1: There was. If <laughs> here comes, there
0: comes the two by four right in the back of the head. Okay, Tracy, you weren't listening before. Here we go. This is yeah. it. You have no choice.
1: I absolutely have described that moment as a spiritual bitch slap. Like that's what it felt like. <laughs> I love it. No, absolutely, it was.
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit about coaching. I've heard a lot of people say, of course, that most, if not all, coaches have been through their own personal struggles and journey and shit before making the leap into coaching. Now, of course, we as human beings all have to go through and deal with our shit. It's part of life. But what I've found, though, is that for most of the people that I speak with who are now coaches, their personal struggles were the catalyst for them becoming a coach. So. Can you share a little bit about your own personal journey before making the leap into the coaching world?
1: Yeah. So the job change was definitely one for me, for sure. And, and it was a huge realization in the idea that, you know, we do what we're supposed to do instead of what we love to do. And that was a disconnect for me. I was like, why would we live our life that way? That makes no sense. Another big one that had actually happened before that was, and how I got into to yoga and meditation was after we had kids, my marriage went really bad, really fast, really bad, really fast to the point that we had separated a couple times. And the second time that we separated, actually, I had gone to a seven day immersive meditation training. So immersive meaning like it was actually in my city, but we started at like 6am every morning and didn't get home till 11pm at night. So basically just, it was just sleep. That was it. Wow. And that was the point, right? Is you had no opportunity to talk to anybody, to do any of those things. And it was a beautiful experience for me. And a couple of days, maybe a week after that, like I said, our marriage had been bad for a while and I was unhappy. My husband was unhappy. Everybody was unhappy. I remember sitting at the dining room table and my husband coming to ask me like just a very mundane question, like about kids schedule or something like that. And I had this experience of, it was almost like I became this observer or this witness and it was like I was there, but I was actually watching myself have this conversation, if that makes sense. So it's like there was two of me and, and I'm listening to my husband. He asked me this question and I literally look up at him and I go, I want a divorce. Wow. And he's like, what? Like, not that it was a secret that things weren't going well. And as I was watching it in my head, I was like, what did I just say?
0: <laughs> did like, I really how? just say that?
1: Really? I was that. did did I say that? Oh. <laughs> or
0: was I just thinking it?
1: Yeah, I was like, I'll just wait for the response and see if I'm the only one that heard that because that's not, you know, un- unheard of for me either. I was like, okay, didn't that come out? And it did. Was that
0: my inside voice or my outside voice? Totally. I
1: was like, <laughs> that happens when you're like, sure, I say that? Yeah, yeah. But I did say that. And so that was definitely a catalyst that ignited a lot of things because then that was the second time we separated. And my kids and I left and went and stayed with my parents a while and, and we went through this, but it was also the catalyst, not just for me, but it was the catalyst for my husband. And it was the catalyst that, that he needed. I would say, I'm sure he would agree with me with that part now to come back to life because he had gotten so stuck in just, you know, I'm a father. I need to provide, I need to go to work. It's the daily grind. I'm doing all of these things, but there was no joy anymore. And even though it was one of the hardest times in our relationship, i am still, to this day, I'm grateful. It's one of the best things that could have ever happened to us. And, you know, as I say that, the biggest realization for that in me is I find it so interesting that when we get married, you know, we stand at the altar, we, we do it however we do it, we say, till death do us part. And I don't know about you, but no one ever told me, nor did I ever consider that when I said yes to marrying this person, that, what well, we're going to change. We're not going to be just like this right now. You know, so 10 or 15 years later, I've started a spiritual journey and I've started to unpack my own stuff and change how I want to do things. And I'm sure on the other side, he's sitting there, he's like, well, this, this is not who i married.
0: Right? Yeah. I don't remember this, Tracy. Where the hell did this one come from?
1: And so if we're not willing to move together, not necessarily saying we have to be at the same space, but if we're not willing to move through that change together, things can become pretty freaking messy.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So how then would you say have these experiences helped shape the Tracy you are today, both personally and professionally?
1: I think all of this has been alchemized together for me in the most beautiful personal and professional journey because I feel like I am coaching and teaching what I have moved to the other side of. So I'm literally just a couple steps ahead, right? I'm I'm not a master by any stretch. I'm just a couple steps ahead of the people that I work with. And it's those experiences that allow me not only to hold space for my clients, but to be able to say, okay, I, I understand where you're coming from, right? Like I hear you, I see you, and I get that. And for me, if I were to look back, like I am a completely different person in so many ways that I was.
0: You've grown, you've evolved.
1: Oh yeah. And looking back, I can also see like all of the spaces and places where I gave my power away, whether it was to my parents, whether it was to the marriage, whether it was to men whether it was to systems and the the job grids, like all of it. It has been this journey all the way along of being able to take my power back even more as I learn more about who I am.
0: So what was then, would you say the biggest or most valuable takeaway from those experiences for you?
1: You know, my marriage was definitely pivotal. I will say that those changes, but I wouldn't say it was the the biggest one in my life. I think the biggest one for me have been the experiences that I've had where I've realized where I've given my power away to other people. So especially through all of the training and stuff there, you know, for the longest time I would learn from someone, I would work from someone, I would be mentored by someone and I can only see it now, but I realized that I would almost put them on this pedestal. And so I think one of the biggest things for me was kicking everybody else off their fucking pedestals.
0: and own. <laughs> love that that's powerful yeah i want to touch again on the coaching industry now as a whole i would love to hear your thoughts on this you being a coach through many conversations that i've had with the multiple women i've spoken to who i've interviewed who work in the industry as coaches i found that there are quite a few that don't even like using the word coach because of the bad connotation that's attached to that. They prefer to use terms like mentor or guide or teacher or something along those lines, anything but coach because of the bad rep that the coaching industry has garnered for itself in the last, I don't know, couple of years, I guess. I would love to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, this is juicy. As you're saying, you're thinking like, okay, how many of us have used the word coach on our Instagram profile because we don't have enough characters to put anything else, <laughs> Right? It's like, and I struggle too and I, you know, especially when you're starting a business and you're in your earlier years, people talk about how important your title is and that it's got to make sense to people and I think that the word coach might be a word that that makes the most sense because people might, especially in the spiritual community, might be able what is does it mean to be a guide or was, and I've struggled too. And honestly, what, I don't even know what the fuck to call myself. Sometimes <laughs> it depends on the day. You yeah. know, sometimes people are showing up and, and I'm the person that's doing the Akashic record clearing and other times people show up and they're having issues in their marriage. And I'm, I am the life coach and other times i have containers and I'm, I'm teaching spiritual principles and I'm channeling and it's, it's always changing. And so one of the words I love the most is alchemist, but I also know people look at that and they're like, well, what does that mean?
0: You know? <laughs> and you're like, well, I
1: don't know. Come and check it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the, the sad thing, I think and it, it's not just even in the coaching industry, I would say in the metaphysical community, anybody that does any type of healing work, any type of, you know, the emotional release and things like that is it's unregulated. So yeah. anybody can say whatever they want. And so to me, and you know, I, this is how I work with my clients too. My ideal client is not someone who comes to me and wants me to give them all the answers. My ideal client is someone who wants me to shine a light on their blind spots and to also open some doors for them to get curious about. It's not up to me to tell you what to do or what to say, but I can drop things in your field and I can ask questions to guide you so that you can figure out what's right for you. I don't right. know what the word for that is, right?
0: Guide, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Guide?
1: But I think, you know, regardless of what people call themselves as the consumer, we have to be very discerning. We have to look at that person, look at what their training is, look at what they're offering, look at what the agreement is. Because the sad thing is, I think that people have had so many bad experiences that it kind yeah. of gives us a bad rap. And yeah. also saying that, What were your expectations in that experience? Because if that was never communicated or you had unrealistic expectations or you were going to somebody else so that they could fix your life, it would make sense that it didn't work out for you.
0: Yeah, very true. As mentioned off the top, Tracy, you are trained in multiple areas and modalities. Can you speak a little bit about the modalities that you're trained in and how you incorporate them into your work? Yeah.
1: So, you know, I think the first thing that is important for people to realize is that when someone has multiple levels of training, and there's lots of people like me out there. I'm by no means the anomaly. But truthfully, I've spent more in my modality training than I did in my ed degree. Just <laughs> to be clear, like it's not cheap. No, right? it's not. It's not cheap. And so, you know, I started with yoga teacher training and meditation teacher training, which was my gateway into this world. And then I worked my way into massage and even that is, you know, I still do a little bit of it, but it's not the primary of what I do. And I think for me at the time, it was actually just a way out that (laughs) other people could understand because if I would have said, I'm going to stop teaching and I'm going to become a, you know, an intuitive healer, my husband would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about?
0: An intuitive what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whereas if I say massage therapist, they're all kind of like, well, Okay, I know what that is. It doesn't make sense because you.
0: But you're you're giving up a steady job with benefits and pension. Are you fucking crazy?
1: True. Totally. But at least for that quote unquote job. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Very true. Then and I took Reiki very early on as well, right? And I massage from more of an intuitive place, and so what I've learned over the years is, you know, once you learn these modalities, it's really hard to shut them off. So when people come and I touch their bodies, they automatically get Reiki, they automatically get the energy work, right? But what I've been embracing a lot more over the past couple of years is SRT and SIT. And so SRT is spiritual response therapy, and it's a modality that researches people's Akashic records, which is our past lives, okay, and negative programs old conditionings and we can even go into things like vows oaths contracts all of these types of things and that modality works to clear these things because these things are imprinted at the level of the soul so even though we don't remember them they still affect us and so sometimes for example someone might have you know a fear of water and they can't explain why they have a fear of water they've never had a bad experience Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be from this lifetime there you go (laughs) So SRT is a, is a very potent modality to start to clear away old programming and old energies. And I weave that in a lot with SIT, which is subconscious imprinting technique. And what okay. that does is that works to reprogram the subconscious mind. So the limitations, the belief systems, the values that we were given, especially as kids, that we no longer want to carry. Mm-hmm. And so I weave those two together with The intuitive guidance that I also have access to, as well as another modality called decodes. Decodes is essentially about decoding what's going on. So it is about bringing all of the bodies together. So it's the recognition that if you have pain in your physical body, it might not be physical.
0: It's usually emotional or stress related or multiple other things.
1: Yes. So it weaves in all of the layers. So when someone shows up and they're like, okay, so, you know, I've. Been having issues with my throat, for example, or maybe I have reoccurring bouts of laryngitis or, you know, I'm losing my voice for no reason or whatever. Right. And they might go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, your throat looks good. Yeah. But you know, then it's like, okay, well, what else could be the root cause of that? So everything I do with my modalities is to find the root. Sometimes it will be physical and I'm going to be like, Oh, I think you should go to see the chiropractor or try that kind of thing. And other times it's a mental block. It's a limitation. It's a belief. Other times it's emotional. It's energetic. There needs to be emotional release that happens. Yeah. So we all weave together for this, this beautiful alchemy of whatever you need.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> You mentioned you are an intuitive, you're also you're a healer and coach. So I'm curious, when did you realize you had the gift of being a healer and intuitive? And did you struggle internally to understand it all and realize the gifts that you had? Or was it fairly easy for you to embrace? I still
1: struggle. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there you go. You know, but I think, you know, I actually come from a line of healers. So okay. my, grand, my great-grandmother was a indigenous medicine woman
0: oh very cool
1: yeah it was something that we were never allowed to talk about of course so so my grandma was one of 15 16 kids and so my mom has memories of going to visit her grandma for summers and watching this revolving door of people which were strangers to my mom come through for different healing sessions and things like that so it is partly innately in me however the majority of my family just won't talk about it. It's like it was a thing of shame. It was hidden in a lot.
0: Yeah. Of ways. Yeah.
1: So I think that there is a, a part of that that it's just part of who I am from an ancestral perspective mm-hmm. right. But I think I believe that everybody's intuitive. Even if you're 5 years old, even if you're you know whatever that is. So it's it's just about learning to cultivate it just like any other skill. You're a teacher, you learn to cultivate that. If you're really good with numbers, you learn to cultivate that, whatever that is. So I think the biggest hurdle for me, and I know for a lot of people I work with too, is learning to trust it.
0: Yeah. Trust and allow. That's a big hurdle to jump and to clear for sure.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think one of the biggest blocks, and I know I had this one too, is you know, it's one thing when you're hearing it, like I am clear audience, which means you hear it. Yeah. And a lot of people will just mistake that as themselves. If there's a discernment there. But when I started to be clairvoyant, which means that you see things and I see them, you know, inside my mind, inside my third eye, not outside of me. But that was a big thing for me. I was like, the first thing I was like, am I am I losing it? Am I going crazy? <laughs> is like, that real? <laughs> totally. And that was the, the next piece is, and so many people I think will fall into this trap if they're not looking to cultivate it or working with someone that can help them to cultivate it is you just automatically assume you're making it up. Yeah. It must be my imagination. Yeah. It must just be making it up. When in truth, it's actually just messages and your intuition is just showing you. It's just guiding you. Yeah. Right? But it's just making that switch to be willing to follow it.
0: <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do for sure. No. No. I've heard many people say that we as humans have all the tools within us to help in healing ourselves. Is that something you believe in or subscribe to?
1: I do believe in that. I would also say to add to that, that... It takes time to unlock them. I practice. Yeah. I believe it's just like a key. Right. And I often talk about keys and codes and it's everything is in your blueprint. It's all in you. And it's just about learning. And it might be something that someone just simply says, or it might be a training that you take, or it might be a session that you have, but you walk in and all of a sudden someone just unlocks and you turn it and then something is unlocked. And then it's about learning how to communicate with it and learning how to cultivate it.
0: Now, you mentioned the Akashic Records. For those who don't know, can you explain a little bit about that? I know you touched on it a little bit, but can you give a little more in-depth explanation?
1: Yeah. So the Akashic Records is often referred to as the library of the soul. So what that means, and this is kind of how I see it, is if you think of, I'm totally going to date myself right now, but who knows what a uh, file cabinet is?
0: <laughs> yep. i because
1: my kids don't know. I was like, do you guys want a file cabinet? is? <laughs> Oh, God. But if you think of a filing cabinet that we would use for our taxes or for our clients or whatever that is, this is like an energetic filing cabinet. And so, if you are going to work with the Akashic Records, then there is the belief that we have multiple incarnations. So, yeah. if you believe that you're like a one and done in this lifetime and that's it, then Akashic Records isn't probably going to be something that you connect to. But for those of us that believe that we have multiple incarnations, hundreds, even thousands, of Mm -hmm. incarnations, then what this is, is it's an energetic record. It's an energetic, it's like it's imprinted into the aspect of our soul. And it's a record of every lifetime that we have ever had and the programs that are attached to it, the events and the people. So it's, That's a lot of info. It is a lot of info. It absolutely is. And we're all different. Some of us are going to have hundreds or like I said, thousands. And we've also got you know, some people on the planet, not as many right now, but this might be their first one.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I know. So there are some people that have had maybe 10. There's others that have had hundreds and there's others that have had thousands and then some that are here for the very first time. Yeah. That is wild.
1: I know. I mean, I from my experience and what I've learned, I would say the majority of us have many. Okay. But what's coming in is we're starting to shift right now. Part of this was, you know, with COVID as well. Yeah. And people are starting to come in with less or even their first time. And so it's really interesting because they'll come in and there'll be someone that you meet them and you're kind of like, oh, they seem different. But you kind of can't put your finger on why they're different. But you're like, hmm. That's interesting, but these people won't have all the baggage that most of us have. When we talk to them about some of the things we've worked through, they're going to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? What do you mean you're afraid of this? Or what do you mean you, I don't get it. Because they don't have any of them, which is super fascinating.
0: That is, that's incredibly interesting. What lights you up or excites you or inspires you the most about the work that you do?
1: I love the Akashic Records. Like, <laughs> life is my jam. It's, yeah. And I have to say, like, I feel so deeply grateful and honored for everyone who has ever come into my field that gives me permission to go into their records, right? Because it's absolutely a humbling experience. And it's fascinating that, you know, I love it so much because when I do sessions, I pretty much remember nothing from my sessions mm. Because it's not for me, right? right. When you come and you get the clearing, I'm, I'm literally just tapping in and I'm channeling and I'm giving you what is coming up and what you need to know. But then when the session is over... In the the moment, I might remember, but if you, like, message me the next day, I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't remember
0: what I said. I should have recorded that. (laughs) totally. (laughs) So here's a question for you then. Can anyone take on and learn Mm -hmm. the Akashic Record, how to read someone's Akashic Records?
1: Absolutely.
0: Really? Yeah. Very interesting. And it's
1: like anything else. You know, it's like anyone could learn how to woodwork and build a table, but some people are going to be better at it than others. Yeah, right. It's it's, but anyone can do it. Hmm.
0: Very yeah. cool. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you, and why?
1: I would have to say my kids for sure. My kids are probably my greatest teachers. So my son is at Woldis; so he's 15, and then I have a daughter, Addison; she's 13. And Addison is—they're both like me, but because we're both female, right? Addison is like the volume button turned up. On- <laughs> So many ways and in the ways where I would have considered our faults for me and she's embraced them, but they're like really loud in my face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: and also loud in the ways of the things that when I look back at my life, I wish I would have learned differently or could have changed earlier. She embodies those two. Wow. So there's definitely a challenge with being her mom in a good way, but a challenge <laughs> with being her mom, because she's always challenging me.
0: Tracy 2.0. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, totally. And my son is, you know, he doesn't necessarily challenge me as much, but he's also my greatest teacher because he's come in as a male. And so I've had a lot of things in the past, specifically with gender, not like patriarchy, you know, but some of that, the inequality of men and women, especially my family. And that ran through my mom's line a lot, especially, you know, boys were better boys got privileges those types of things. So my son is also my greatest teacher. And that way is he starts to embrace his hormones and (laughs) and things like that. But he also has this really soft, empathetic side to him, you know, like he's 15 and he still wants a hug at least once a day, you know, he wants to have a conversation, you know, so they are absolutely my greatest teachers to show me where my own blind spots are, to show me what's possible. And the other piece too, is not only they showing me that, but they're showing me why I do this work.
0: That's a contrast from your son, speaking about your son specifically, that's quite a contrast because boys are typically taught, don't show emotion, don't cry, stop crying like a little girl. Stop da, 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 da. I think that... We need to raise our boys up knowing that it's okay to have emotions. You're a human being, of course. Emotions are part of your DNA. They're part of your makeup. It's okay to express them. It's okay to have them. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to want to be loved, to want to hug your mother, your father, whatever, to be affection. all of these things. And that has been stripped away from so many boys growing up, which then leads them into who they become as men. Mm -hmm. which then plays a, a role in relationship issues between women and men and all of these things. So I think if we start from when they're young boys and raise them up to know that it's okay for all of these things, it will shift things dramatically.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that I adopted very early on as a parent was, and I would say to my kids, you know, I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't really care about what your grades are in school or, you know, I just want you to do your best. But what I care about first and foremost is I care about what kind of human you are. That's what That's I care It's the most important. Absolutely. And even, you know, last week we went to my daughter's football game. She plays football and my son awesome. and I went together and he saw a couple of his friends and I could tell he was like, and I was like, why don't you go have a conversation? He's like, well, mom, I don't want to leave you alone. I was like, no, no, it's good. Go. <laughs> go <fine. laughs> But what he did he do is he came back in 10 minutes with his friends and sat down with me. And I was like, what a
0: good boy. That's, see, that speaks volumes as to who you are as a parent and as a mother and how you've raised them. Yeah,
1: so true.
0: kudos to you for that.
1: Thank you. I try. Not perfect. <laughs> we'll try. You
0: know. Nobody's perfect. Kids don't come with a manual. We no. figure it out as we go, right? It's, it's all part of the process. And like you said, our kids are our greatest teachers as well. So yeah. there you go. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it?
1: You know, well, I could go down a lot of different things. But what's popping up right now is, you know, don't take things personally. And, I, you know, that's one of the four agreements in, in yeah. the book. But if I look at the previous version of who I was, let's say before my spiritual journey, I had been taught to basically shield myself from judgment, from criticism, needing validation, like all of those, you know, kind of buzzy things that we often talk about. And I think what I've realized is that, you know, most of the time it's not about me. It's really not about me. When you have that conversation with someone that doesn't go
0: well, or you have
1: a conflict or someone cuts you off, you know, it's like, it actually has nothing to do with me. And so one of the biggest tools I could even just drop in here for your audience, one of the best questions that I've learned to ask myself is, is this even mine? When I'm triggered or when I'm upset or when I'm reacting, whatever it is, I'm asking myself, is this this about me? Like, is this even mine? And 98% of the time, the answer is nope. And then I'm like, awesome, carry on.
0: But it's having the self-awareness and the wherewithal to be able to do that. And the four Agreements is a great book. and it's not easy to put those things into practice. It's it not. takes work
1: totally. And I think that's one of the uh, adversions maybe we could say that people have to having a spiritual journey is is that it takes work,
0: yeah, they don't want to do the work. They can't be bothered, yeah, totally. Well, then you're going to stay stuck where you are if you don't, you right. Are.
1: You absolutely are. It's a choice. Even then we can say, okay, yes, I'm gonna do the work, but I'm actually not willing to change any of my programs. <laughs> right? I'm not willing to make a different choice or I'm not so it's interesting because I am that coach that or whatever you want to call me, but I am that person that will call you <laughs> on your show.
0: I've got you thinking about that now, don't <laughs> I? <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, I tell that or not Damn, I have to think about
1: that. Now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tracy, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: You know, it's really important to me to provide deeply healing experiences for people. That doesn't mean that I control them, but it does mean that I create a sacred space and a container for people to do that. And I think that that is one of my greatest gifts, that and the ability to be curious rather than saying it has to be this way or you need to do it this way. It's always, let's look at this. Let's look at this. What about this? Perhaps this. And I think that that's one of my greatest strengths because it empowers the people that show up
0: in my container. Being open minded, it's a hugely yeah. important thing. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think we can take that into conversations as well. We have to be open-minded when we go into conversations. And I've been talking about this a lot lately and how conversation is the catalyst for change and how we need to start having more of the difficult conversations. Talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. Talk about the things that people don't normally talk about and go into those conversations with an open mind and open ears and actually listen to what's being said, not listening just so that you can respond but listening to actually listen like actively listen because you never know what information someone could share with you it could change your perspective it could shift your perspective and we got to approach this life with an open mind and be open to to different opinions and different thought processes
1: Absolutely. And I've actually noticed that when I have those difficult conversations, one of the most powerful things that I can say is before I'm about to share my point of view or my feelings or my perspective, or if I'm giving feedback, I often will say, I can be wrong. Yeah. and X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. It opens the door for people to feel as though it's not one way or the other. There's no yep. judgment there. There's no nothing. It's, it's simply a sharing that.
0: That's very important. So speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you?
1: Oh, I feel like that's such a loaded word. Because some people, if you hear the word success, they automatically go, how much money do you make? Right? <laughs> yeah. How much money do you make? How much debt do you have? You know, what kind of car do you drive? What kind of house? You know, there's all of those things. And I feel like if you ask me this question in like a month or three months or six months, my, my answer will constantly change and evolve. But I think for me personally, success is knowing that I am living out my purpose and being of service every day in whatever way that means. And some days that means I'm going to show up as the, you know, the Akashic Records coach. There's that word again. And, And other days I'm going to show up as the healer. And some days I'm just going to be the mom. But success is, you know, doing things to the best of my ability, which isn't always going to be perfect, but it's going to be the best of my ability and for what is hopefully the highest good of all.
0: What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: That's an interesting word too. And you know what? I actually have moved away from that word in some respects because, and I do this in one of my programs, is we talk about the word power and we talk about the word control. And there's some really interesting energy and ideas and perceptions that people have about the word power. Power. And they see it as more of a, the powers that be, like, and for some people that would be God or source, but other people see it as like the government or yeah. the healthcare system or, or whatever. And so I've actually started to move away from that word to sovereign. Hmm. That is my more favorite word is sovereign. And to me, what it essentially means is that I am hundred percent in alignment and rooted within who I am, no matter what anybody else thinks.
0: All right. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for?
1: Interesting. An unexpected one. I like to think that I create them all. So, all right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always creating, I'm always manifesting. So, I'm like, what is unexpected blessing? I want to say my kids, but that also feels they weren't really unexpected because I did plan
0: them. you know (laughs) the dissolution of your marriage
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i you know what i guess the unexpected blessing is just every single day every day that i get tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that is absolutely an unexpected blessing because we don't actually know
0: how much time very true okay we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one two three word answer type thing okay okay what is the first thing you think of when I say the word future?
1: Limitlessness.
0: If you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Expansion. How would you describe yourself in one word? Mystical. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say?
1: Triggers ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you <are> triggers ahead.
0: <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Possibility. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money?
1: Possibility.
0: What is one of your favorite entrepreneurial books?
1: Is it bad if I don't read entrepreneurial books?
0: What's one of your favorite books? (laughs) Big Magic. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most?
1: Hmm. What challenge in my life has shaped me the most? I think it would be the whole journey of what, you know, you would call my professional life or my career moving from being a teacher in a system to now, you know, having my own business. I already had my brick and mortar. I just uh, recently let it go. But I would say that that is the journey of entrepreneurship for sure, because I wholeheartedly believe that the day that one person decides to become an entrepreneur is like the fastest track to your healing that God has ever created because every single piece of your shit is going to come up really
0: fast. That is, it's one hell of a life learning experience. You are going to be challenged, stretched in ways you didn't even know existed. Yeah. All
1: <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. At the same time.
0: And I think, you know, we don't talk about, that side of things too much. We don't talk about it enough, I think. It's like it's romanticized or glamorized in social media. Entrepreneurship is, and don't get me wrong, entrepreneurship is amazing. It's a beautiful gift. It's a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. to be able to do it. But I think we need to start having conversations. Here we go back to the conversation thing. I think we need to start having conversations about the other side of things, how lonely solopreneurship can be at times and what struggles that we all go through. And we all have our different struggles But there are struggles and they don't get talked about enough. And I think that I almost want to say that it's almost like it's a responsibility, I think, for those of us who have been in the game a little bit. Obviously, some we're all at different stages, but to start talking about these things, to help educate people who are just stepping into entrepreneurship for the very first time, to give them that idea of what they're stepping into because it's not always puppy dogs rainbows and ice cream and I think that if we can better prepare people for stepping into that role mm-hmm. then why don't we why don't we have these conversations
1: yeah I wholeheartedly agree because I know when I started of course you hire the coach you take the course you do all of these things but it's just like you said it's been And when we look on social media and a lot of spaces and places we see you know become the seven figure coach or become this and don't get me wrong hey let's all make seven figures yeah I more than enough for everyone
0: absolutely
1: but no one really wants to talk about the fact that okay well that person's a let's say a seven figures but they've been in business for 10 years or whatever that is right and i work with in, in the business coaching i do with emerging healers and emerging entrepreneurs and they're in a lot of ways they're fucking terrified
0: mm-hmm. and they're, rightfully so it's not easy
1: No, they're terrified. And then we can throw in all of the different strategies and the funnels and like all this. Oh, yeah. Right. And people just go, I'm out.
0: Yeah. The silver bullet. Here's here's the quick way to six figures. And there's no fucking quick way. That's bullshit. There's no magic bullet. There's no secret sauce to making it quick. And I mean, let's be. Yes, of course, there are people who have skyrocketed from here to here. But those are very far and few between. It takes years. It's the 10-year overnight success, right? Totally. It it just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. It's like the analogy. Do you you, you remember when you were, you don't see it so much right now, but I remember when I was younger in my teens, we would call it like one-hit wonders.
0: Yeah. It's like
1: someone just showed up, had this awesome song, and people loved it, and then you never heard from them again. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Do you want to be the one-hit wonder? Or do you want to just you know, slow and steady wins the race? That's right. You got to give yourself the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the grace. Yes, 100%. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn in their life at some point? Oof, there's a lot of those too.
1: <laughs> there's the entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. You know what? I think the biggest thing is stop telling yourself stories. When things don't work out the way that you had hoped or the way that you want them to and you, you know, you didn't get as many registrations or you put something out and you get crickets or whatever it is, don't make up stories that make it about you. It's actually never about you. Back maybe to the four
0: agreements. Not,
1: right? Maybe <laughs> the timing was off or maybe it needs to be worded in a different way. But I would just say, don't make the stories. Don't take it personal. Make it about yourself and try again or try something different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. My Dad always told me what's meant for you will never go by you, yeah, so you oh, can look at that. it that way too right it It just wasn't meant to happen that way, and like you just said, try a different way, try something else, but always always, always pick yourself up again and dust yourself off and try again, yeah. so I've always got that playing in my head, my dad's voice is like what's meant for you will never go by you so.
1: And you know, the beautiful thing about that too, which if I had to give a second lesson would be if you feel resistance to something, that's a huge signal, right? That's a red flag. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. It's not for you. So that's the other side of the coin. And I think that as entrepreneurs, we also will push ourselves through a lot of that resistance because we think this is what I have to
0: do or I
1: should do or I'm supposed to do and the invitation there is to feel into that and see okay what is the resistance is the resistance because of what it might mean if this is successful or if this works mm-hmm. or is it resistance because your soul is being like eh, put on the brakes yeah stop
0: now? lean yeah. into it for sure yeah what is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year
1: mm. I'm more powerful than I think
0: that's a good one I love it If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: You know, my first inkling was, I was like, Oprah Winfrey would be pretty fucking cool. Yeah. (laughs) But then I was like, no, it would actually be my great-grandma. And I I did know my great-grandma. I was quite small, though, before she passed, and I do have memories of her. But I didn't know a lot about her and, and being a healer and her indigenous background and that kind of stuff until after many years after she had passed. So I would actually love to be able to sit down and have that conversation with her.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. If you could go back, Tracy, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Don't give a shit about what anybody else thinks. That it.
0: All right. Done. Period. That's it. Period. <laughs> End of sentence. <laughs> <So stop. laughs> Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: Stop waiting. Just stop waiting. Stop waiting for the right time. Stop waiting for permission. Stop waiting for it to be perfect. Stop waiting for someone else to show you the way. Just stop waiting.
0: Beautiful. Tracy, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure having the opportunity to sit down and speak with you and learn about your journey, your story, the beautiful light that you put out into the world through the work you're doing. I appreciate you taking and making the time to be here with me today. It has been incredibly inspirational. You're a beautiful soul. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world. And thank you. I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community.
1: Thank you. I'm very grateful and honored to be here. So I absolutely appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Tracy Montgomery. She is an educator, soul and business coach, energy healer, alchemist, and a Reiki master. Last but certainly not least, a mama. So Tracy, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. You too.